This is Office Hours, the show for sharing experiences and stories in security, risk management, compliance, and audit. Brought to you by Galvanize. Now, here's your host, Dan Zitting. All right. Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm Dan Zitting, as always, and today I have an extra special guest. Uh, he is a senior product manager at uh, Galvanize and, in particular, responsible for our products around third party and, and vendor risk management. But Chris Murphy is here. And Chris, um, tell us a little bit more about your background because it stretches, uh, your experiences here stretch well beyond uh, building software. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you today. You know, um, I've got quite the background when I really think about trying to unpack it. I've worked across all lines of defense with a career that started in public accounting. And, uh, you know, if we have time today, I'd love to get into what really kind of got me out of the numbers and the, the beans of public accounting and into the security and risk assessment side of things. And what really piqued my interest uh, that there's something more that really enables people. But uh, what I love here, maybe just for a minute, is I get a chance to work with the entire marketplace in third-party risk management, and supplier governance, and all those aspects of third parties across the balance sheet on the P&L. And, and really, we have a chance, I have a chance to impact the entire marketplace and add value to all of our customers and beyond. So I get a lot of joy out of that. And I felt that calling when I got here. Awesome. And of course, uh, prior to, um, prior to uh, building software and, and helping customers implement their vendor risk programs, uh, you did that yourself at a, a couple of large organizations. Um, in particular, you've seen some really interesting things happen. One of those you told me about was, uh, I think it was 20,000, information of 20,000 customers going at being personal identifiable information being sent out to a third party every week for two years, um, despite the fact that you no longer used that third party. How does a situation like that make a vendor risk manager uh, feel about their, their situation and program? Oh man, it's, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was like a good and bad feeling, more bad. Because <laughs> when, you, when your program has evolved to a level to identify something like that by, by having a central and, and confederated style of program in place, you, you know you're doing something right. But oh my gosh, the, the alarms for the client, the customer were going off up and down the stack from, you know, from the executive team to the person who found it. So it's, it's intense to say the least, but I was very happy that customer, that client had a system in place to identify and manage this type of thing. Yeah. So major emergency. But I think what's interesting about that is like, you know, my own experience in, in vendor supplier risk, um, so much of it around or so much of building those programs is around sending questionnaires to the third parties, validating information they provide back, risk assessing and scoring, those sorts of things. But in this case, um, this isn't the sort of thing I feel like an awful lot of vendor risk programs actually look for. Um, because in some mistakes, the mistake was made on our side, as opposed to on the on the vendor side, um, and there's a, there's a whole range of unknowns beyond just information we collect from the vendors, um, and I, I think that's kind of the the overarching theme about what we want to talk about today is um, how do I take what's known about my third parties and and um, use it to better think about and discover those things that are unknown, like 
forgetting to turn off a a scheduled um, uh, a scheduled delivery of all of our customer information after we no longer use the vendor. Yeah, it's a it's a unique look inward, right? Like the customer in that case is the company that you directly work in, and uh, they had you know twenty thousand elements of PII name, social security number, address. It, you know, it was related to healthcare services being provided to the organization, a very large organization. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's interesting, and it and it really speaks to you know you hit on it, but it speaks to the maturity of your program, and I think. Programs ramp up in maturity when they start to manage. Uh, let's use my friend Donald Rumsfeld, uh, you know, as an <laughs> inspiration here. You know, he's got a famous speech about your known knowns, your unknown unknowns, and and everything in between of that, that mashup. What we're really talking about is getting and digging deep into a program that looks for those unknown unknowns or looks for the things that you know you don't know with creative and intuitive ways. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So maybe what you can do, um, Chris, take us through, um, take us through how you um, think about building that sort of a program and um, what your, uh, what your um, experience has been in, in steps to, in particular, after known knowns are identified, how do we start thinking about unknown unknowns? Yeah, Dan, let me start by maybe kind of giving a framework for everybody to think about. And uh, I think, you know, in follow-up to this, and I'll uh, sign myself up for something now, but mm-hmm. let's, let's pass a graphic out to help people with a little guide to this. So I think about, and we encourage our customers to think about, you know, you start somewhere and that's with your known knowns. If you imagine a two-by-two two grid, meaning four boxes right next to each other, organized in a, in a big square, your known knowns are one of those boxes where that intersects. Those are the simple things. That's the stuff everybody starts with. Ground, you know, ground level expectations. You've got a vendor master file. You might have a third party onboarding program um, in com- consultation with your compliance department or others. And then you have a GRC tool and you have an accounts payable master file. All those things kind of lead you to the things you know uh, fundamentally. But for us, for me in practice, for our customers, you know, it's important to say, we got to get outside our own heads and get outside our own box. And to do that, we need to engage others. Uh, and that's where you start to bring in friends from audit, security, compliance, physical security, um, and find other indicators of finding those uh, unknown knowns or those unknown unknowns. You know, one, one example, one thing that was really creative and kind of ties into what you were asking me about with the, that master file for our employees that were going out that came through an indicator from what's known as a data loss prevention program, which is really kind of a a deep security um, tool that looks at the data that's passing outside of your organization uh, and helps really trigger events that have to be managed. So that's in that case, how that customer, that client really dug in and found that file and began that journey. Okay. So known knowns as i as i begin to as as i'm beginning to build this program you've summarized i know things about my i know things from my vendor master how we're paying them uh what information we collected from them in the original uh in the original onboarding probably something some things from their contract um i've got lots of intel here uh, but as you were mentioning I, I i feel like that's where oftentimes 
the the program stops or its justification that now I've collected something and I've thought enough about my vendors that I can appease my regulator. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't uh, prevent a, the sort of situation that you that you'd mentioned before. So maybe you can build on um, Chris a little bit more about um, now you're engaging security DOP. That's really interesting. Um, what's the um, what's the the best practice or what 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 leads to a, a strengthening of program where um, those uh, those individuals engage well and and uh, we can begin to attack I, I, I suppose what are the unknowns that we begin to attack yeah I, like this is most programs stop at those known knowns I would say generally speaking you're, you're checking the box you're keeping the regulator away you know you're, you're demonstrating a level of due diligence that might just Get you, get you past having a darkened door by a regulator or auditor, right? But um, to, to lean into your question there, you know, what helps assemble this? It's really building out a committee that drives the overlook of your third-party risk management program and asking yourselves, do we have enough scope in our program um, to really make sure we're covering all aspects of risk to our organization? Uh, and that, that's exactly how you open up and get outside your box of operation. You, you ask yourself, do I have enough mindshare here that cares at a level that is, um, uh, carries weight in the organization to do this? Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe I can unpack what I think like, is a good committee that helps kind of drive this for just a second. You know, you, you got to ask yourselves, like, if I only have my chief information security officer or my supply chain leader or uh, my procurement officer engaged, I'm probably missing the mark here. Um, you know, a lot of these things for certain industries like healthcare and financial services, banking, um, you know, consumer packaged goods are driven by expectation and regulation from the top down. And so you need compliance officers and privacy officers and other people engaged that can help add weight and expectation to this program. That's what expands your thinking beyond your known nodes. Yeah. And how as a, um, how is somebody, you know, I think a lot of vendor risk managers, third-party risk managers, they've been put in place as part of the process because of those regulators. So how do you go about illustrating to security why this is important, to finance why this is important? Yeah, there's actually um, most, I think you've got to shift their expectation and frame. And, and here's how you do it. Most people think about this as a bottom line management tool. And what I mean by that is we need to protect the downside of the organization, fines, fees, things that would come into play, or we need to protect the performance of our traditional suppliers and our vendors that are engaging and supporting the organization, either administratively or directly with our customers. And usually you use data that you share and the level of it, the type of it as the trigger. But if you shift your frame, and, and this is one thing that I personally had great success with and we guide our customers with, pull in your head of sales and ask them, this is a non-traditional stakeholder in this, and ask them, what would be valuable for you in a third-party risk management program? You would get an answer like this. Uh, hey, Mr. Vendor Manager, owner, guy, person, ma'am, I need to be able to go to market and say, we have the best the most awesome third-party risk management program in place. We're compliant and we uh, are able to, you know, ward off and detect most near anything that happens. And we know how to respond to it when it does. That puts you at the top of the stack on RFPs and you're, you'll have a fantastic uh, series of documentation that your, that your sales leaders can take to market 
uh, to really ward off uh, the evil spirits trying to eat, eat their lunch and what they're going after. And you can have an effect on the top line, the revenue of a company with a really solid third-party risk management program. Yeah, given the, um, given the extent of focus on, um, on fourth parties, um, clearly, a, uh, clearly a big opportunity there. So, so mm-hmm. taking that then, um, if, if, you're, if you're able then to build some support, um, where do we start getting into uh, what we don't know? What are the questions you should be asking given the facts you know about that, that came from, from, the, from the known known, from the vendor master and the account information and that sort of thing? Uh, great question. Yes, we've kind of we've talked about the known knowns. We've dabbled a little into the things you know you don't know, and that's where you start to engage resource that you have internally. Uh, you ask people what they're using, such as uh, you know the the data loss prevention program we talked about, mm-hmm. or you can even go so far as to look at um, you know what's being recorded in your your CTO's organization in their what's known as a CMDB, their configuration master database that that is referencing assets and software and system that's in place. That's provided by a third party um, and generally leads to the needs for grant of access through an identity and access management tool, also in the security organization. Um, So those are the things you start to look at to say, do I have a full scope of my inventory of third parties? Um, Another indicator would be your threat and vulnerability management uh, program. Those threats and vulnerabilities are posed to you by assets, software systems that uh, have inside are inside your org or are outside connecting to, um, and have agents that you're scanning that represent your, your organization. So that's your known. That's the things you know you don't know. That's where you really start to go. Now you are asking to dig into the things we just truly don't know. That under the surface, below the iceberg, you know, line of water, like what's really, you know, what's in our blind spot, right? How do, what, what, what's the rear view mirror that we start looking into to see this stuff? That's where it gets really interesting. Um, let me unpack the things we don't know that we do know. I'd call this more intuitive things, things that we do are in front of our face that we don't think about so readily with this. Um, an interesting one here is like brokers, agents, and joint ventures or partnerships, things yeah. that really manifest more so on the side of revenue of a business mm-hmm. and not the uh, accounts payable or vendor management systems that we have. Yeah, the I, that's one where I feel like I see a mistake all the time is a, a third-party risk program being focused almost exclusively on vendors when from a, a true compliance standpoint, um, JVs, broker agents, et cetera, are really, in some respects, um, the bigger risk, especially given the focus um, of places like the Department of Justice on money laundering, uh, FCPA, the, uh, bribery, those sorts of things. So um, is that part of building that committee is is uh, understanding, uh, helping stakeholders understand third parties beyond vendors? Absolutely. I'll give you a, a real world example. Um, if you bring your Let's, let's use healthcare as the backdrop, uh, you know, just for an example here. So if you, you know that you need to protect the privacy of your customers, your patients, for say, in healthcare, and you know that there's systems that drive that, such as like an electronic healthcare record system, that's still in that vendor master file. It's still a thing you're buying and paying for. But if you bring your privacy officer into this, not just your security team, and you ask them, hey, here's what we're monitoring. What are we missing? What do we not know? What are we not thinking about? They'll say, well, we have this entire outsourced nursing program that's managed by a third party itself. And they actually 
take calls, actively go and work with people. And, you know, they're not working in our EHR system. They're actually working in their own system. Mm -hmm. And so that's a third party that we need to oversee in a very, in a little bit different way. And we don't pay them. It's actually part of a research partnership that we've developed with a, with a, a nursing agency training program. That becomes a very interesting thing that you would have never uncovered if you hadn't brought in, say, your privacy officer who has view over other things in the organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you when you do bring in somebody like that, what's the, the the most engaging way to do so? Is it purely discussion or is it some kind of, you know, you did this at scale in really large organizations. So how do I prod them through the thinking? Is it some kind of a risk assessment questionnaire, uh, a more structured approach? What's the way to get that conversation started with these various um, these various functions that you want to um, prod to be thinking and, and engaging more broadly about dangers in our in, in the involvement of our third parties. Yeah, the um, you know the natural thing that you might hear people say is like, "What keeps you up at night?" Right, like that's the opening line. Um, I, I like to shift that to, "What are your corporate objectives? What are your personal objectives and goals?" And uh, you know, like, do you want to be the chief compliance officer one day? You know, do you, do you have goals? And to do that, how are you thinking broadly about what your scope of work and responsibility is? And I think it takes the shift a little bit off the, you know, the process, the risk management of it. And it starts to point it at more of an enterprise risk management and objective thinking. And it also helps that person themselves open their mind up. Maybe they weren't thinking about promotion or expansion of their role. Now they are. And, and they probably have privy to those things. And maybe they weren't engaging those thoughts in the way that you're trying to get out of them. So it's almost like an interview about their goals and objectives. I think that's one creative way to do that. Um, that naturally for an organization that does have an evolved and mature enterprise risk management program, you know, you can use that as reference and say, we're on our enterprise risk, risk register. Or maybe if you're a public company, we're on our 10K annually stated risks. Um, you know, does this connect and, and affect? You know, those are great ways to expand your thinking and blow that up for someone. Yeah. And so then translating that to how, and so I imagine translating that then to um, obviously how can, how, how are third parties going to manifest this risk? How are third parties going to get in the way of those, uh, of those particular objectives? I know I had a, um, I know I had a, 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 a client that, that made the same sort of mistake where um, in a, uh, in a, um, uh, specifically in a bribery, they'd actually built out following um, Department of Justice uh, action and investigation against them a fairly robust bribery program. But of course, in the uh, in the interest of um, in the interest of continuing ag aggressive overseas expansion, um, instead of using at the t actually what they had been doing, what they got in trouble with were, as you mentioned, joint ventures that had been engaged in uh, activity deemed to be bribery. Well, what they effectively did was shift that to external consultants, where the consultants basically became vendors um, who 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 aided and supported um, strategy and, and, and expansion in those markets. Well, really what they were doing was, was uh, shifting out of the JV partly owned by the, the company making the bribe to an independent party where it, where 
obviously more difficult to get data, but effectively they're paying a consulting fee, taking a cut and passing it along um, as the bribe. So in a, in a situation like, in a situation like that, um, I, I, I don't know how you identify that without, without thinking about objectives first, where are we trying to drive expansion? What's the risk? What's the easiest way to do that? And have we profiled some information to see how in this case, from our known knowns, how did spending change um, during the course of that uh, during the course of that transition? You know, Dan, that's where that's where things like uh, like a traditional security mindset around threat modeling, um, you know, comes into play. I you made me think uh, about. I've had to have some very creative scope of work and planning discussions with some very interesting customers, um, you know, around. How do we identify things that would be known as, say, facilitation payments that happen in war-torn areas of the world where we need to get supply chain from point of origination to point of manufacture? And there's a dictator that owns a drawbridge, you know, in the middle of the road. And, you know, it is an accepted part of that. And how, how, do, we get, how do we get to that? How do we identify that when it might be wrapped up in a consultation payment yeah. talked about or a service, you know, it's a service fee, or um, it might be labeled as shipping and handling, um, <laughs> you know, things like that. And so there, there's very creative, and deep analytics that you need to get into. And sometimes you actually just got to get boots on the ground, and see the process in action to, to get to that. But those are the stuff that are hiding out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And probably a reason why audit or investigations or somebody like that should also be part of uh, part of the the committee you've talked about building. And then I would argue operation audit, which is yeah, a very different yeah. mindset than a financial audit. And yes, I think yes. some organizations fail to assemble the right committee around this, whether it's formal or informal committee, just because the nature of their organization doesn't even include the concept of an operational audit team, uh, but they're more traditional IT and financial. Yeah. Okay. So now walk me through, I want to, I want to bring this back to our, I want to bring this back to our, um, our, our situation where, where 20,000 customers information is going out to an ex vendor. Um, having gone through this, this journey of, of understanding, we've profiled, gotten some understanding about the vendor. We have our known knowns, start using additional tools to ask additional questions by stakeholders on a broader committee of vendors. How do we ultimately, and in this particular situation, actually, how do we ultimately identify something uh, like this? Walk us through how that situation that occurred showed up and how you found it. Yeah. So I think here's, here's how uh, it first started in consultation with the customer. It was, you know, we're, we feel like we're on our heels, right? We're, the program's executing. It's, you know, we're handling all the throughput of new third parties and everything, but what are we not, what are we missing? Where, where can we get the scalpel out and start to get a little more surgical in how we do things? We feel like we might be resting on the laurels of the program right now. And so we started to expand our thinking and we said, okay, um, you know, we challenged the committee. Um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of something we do internally here, like the Hail Mary question that we get from the top down. Like if we were to throw a Hail Mary, what would it look like, right? Mm -hmm. And that was effectively what we did. We asked everybody, I want you to come to a non-traditional session where we meet as a committee. And what are the three things we could do that would be crazy off the wall or different that would really expand the scope of how we cover things? And so what we did was we, we realized in consultation with the customer that, we need to take advantage of some other indicators we have. 
at like a data loss prevention program. Right. Second to that, we said, let's do a backwards kind of forensic look. Did we offboard every third party that no longer works with us for a major service over the last two years? We, we took a deep look back like that. We said, did we offboard them effectively? And if we did, what did our offboarding program look like? Did it include the cancellation of you know, scheduled data sharing and access and system review? We basically did this almost as though we were an audit team. Um, like an audit mentality to go back through programming and, and process. And so we did that. What we ended finding out, coincidentally, in the midst of kind of a two-week deep review, there was a job that executed to transact this file. Um, and it went out and it went out to an email address with an at domain for an organization that was no longer supporting the company. And, and what they were providing at in this particular scenario was healthcare services to all the employees in the organization. Uh. And so they needed, yeah, they needed on a weekly schedule, an update of ads, deletes, you know, modifies to that base of employee. And that included a lot of information, very, very much needed to be protected by any organization in the world. Yeah. Uh, So a a number of troubling, a number of troubling things about that, not the least of which going to a vendor we no longer use. Um, But in that case, even something like sending that kind of information through email, um, that in and of itself being, uh, being a scary practice. Um, and I'd say really foundationally, uh, even if the vendor wanted it that way, probably our own internal organizational failure, um, to follow, to follow internal security policy. So maybe you can just comment on that a little bit as it relates to this particular situation. Um, I, I feel like, uh, we talked about it earlier on, but I feel like so many vendor risk programs are pointed at the vendor instead uh, instead of adding or without adding to it. How could we internally, uh, without proper training, policy, whatever, misuse the vendor? Um, can you talk about, do you have any perspective on that at all? Yeah. So, you know, the, the learnings here were a, a proper approval process had executed to initiate, instantiate that job right? All the rules were followed when it was first set up. And the vendor itself was exited from the organization. Um, But, you know, when they were exited, there were not connections to other controls and processes to stop, to review things like data transmission, uh, to review things like access, uh, access rights. Now, access rights were reviewed in this scenario, actually, but it was, this was different, right? It was the auto sending of a job from kind of like a backend function. And so what it led to was, you know, that third party itself wasn't directly exposing us. Uh, and good news for this customer was that the data was being sent encrypted with a hash or that had been organized kind of, you know, yeah. you know so there was a safety mechanism. But then for Thankfully. You know, 52 <laughs> weeks, 24 times, right? <laughs> yeah. or, you know, two times, it was put at risk. Um, and so the, the crux of it is you realize that what we were doing, you know, with the customer, we like we were hired, the customer to was doing was they were just doing their job and they didn't connect the dots on all the controls and offboarding processes. And it was them, it was their side that created the opportunity, not the third party side. Um, and so it was a very inward look on, we got to tighten our screws. We got to, you know, we got to ship, you know, clean up our house and make sure that it's better um, so that our third party doesn't have this opportunity to expose us. Yeah. Great problem. And I think along with that, uh, the other mistake I see, and um, I think you may have some some notes on this, but the other mistake that's that's 
uh, I see is employees dragging in third parties without knowing that they did. And the obvious example there is when somebody in the organization wants to do a survey of their customer base or a survey of whoever, and, um, and there's a million surveying tools on the internet. Um, any thoughts on uh, it, it? Does that fall into that category of don't know, don't know? Where have our where have our employees drug in third parties we had no idea about? Oh my gosh, this is like uh, I, I think healthcare is cruxed by this more than anything, but but everybody is. I uh, this kept me up at night. If you were to ask me, like, what are some things that kept you up at night? Um, I'm going to put this in a category I call good faith use of efficient technology. Um, and these are really things that you, I'm not going to name any names, but we can all wrap our heads around, you know, a surveying type tool that helps you out on the internet that you just have to create a login ID to use. Right. Um, maybe, or maybe not survey monkey. <laughs> yeah. You, monkeying around with surveys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, these are things that you create an account as a single user. These are direct to consumer products, right? Yeah. Um, and you create an account, you accept some terms and conditions of use, uh, you do it through a click through and you're done. And, um, you know, and maybe let's give a healthcare example and then I'll give a financial example. But maybe you send out a very innocuous survey to try and gather some information quickly, only pointed at your internal organization and you say, you know, do you feel like you're using the electronic healthcare record system as it's designed, right? Uh, with its intended use. You're just trying to get some feedback on how your company's using a tool. Maybe you're in like a, a business technology automation group and you're just trying to literally understand the internal experience. And one person replies with, yes, I properly recorded Jane Doe's, you know, um, diagnosis of diabetes on the 3rd of January. And I appropriately recorded that you know, Jane also has X, Y, and Z conditions in her internal life, right? Holy cow. <laughs> PHI, protected health information, um, you know, various points of PII, personally identifiable information, have just been incidentally captured and documented in a system outside the control of your organization. And this is not somebody you pay. It's not a registered third party because you don't use it in accounts payable or procurement or in your GRC team. And you really don't have a way to identify that they've pounded this personal information into this system because it's not on your network, right? Um, so you have to start to get creative here. You have to say, what domains is my organization's assets and people hitting when they're accessing the internet, uh, when, they're, when they're working? And you have, to, you have to start to now think about everything that's being hit. Oh, man, this is a tough one. This is one that really, I, I think, keeps a lot of security professionals up at night. Yeah. Well, I, I think we've gone all the way around kind of your two by two grid, right? About no, we don't know, don't know that we know <laughs> uh, the the whole way around here. So um, let's shift a little bit to just any um, kind of overarching, uh, any kind of overarching guidance you would provide on, on 
how you mechanically build this kind of program. And in particular, of course, I'm biased towards thinking about it from a, a, a technology perspective. What are the three to five things that help you move, um, I suppose in this case, move from a, let's call it a traditional vendor risk program that focuses on 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 those basics, the things we know we know. Um, what are the three to five tips you'd give to expand that program into capturing as much of those other areas as possible? And then um, uh, I'll ask you to do that from the operational side as, as somebody who's built, building that kind of program. And then maybe I'd um, do the same given my own background is a little bit more on the audit and assessment side. Yeah, I think um, it naturally kind of underpinning a lot of this is you've got to get outside your box, right? Like we all have blinders on. And one of the things non-technology related that I would recommend to everybody is to look outward to regulations and processes and systems that are not relevant to your industry of operations. So, you know, if you're in healthcare, you can learn a lot from, you know, the financial services, you know, guidelines and you might find a 60% overlap in, in recommendation and authority, but there's things that, that are prescriptively recommended that you can beg, borrow, and steal from, right, to, to enhance your program. So uh, shift, your, shift your mindset, uh, you know, to do that. Uh, second, I would say, you know, and I know where I sit, so I say this, <laughs> understanding this, but you just can't scale this type of operation without the right gear. Like, you, you can't do it without technology. I, I struggled personally through using traditional, you know, um, operating system suites and it just it, it became overwhelming. We couldn't do enough, especially when we expanded our horizons to cover all of our risk vectors from, of third parties. So you've got to buy, you got to get yourself invested with a product, a, a tool that will help you, you know, do really three things. One is who are my third parties? And that can't be just your, your vendors that you pay money to. You know, they can't just be, uh, you know, somebody once said to me, vendors are the people that serve you hot dogs at the circus, right? Like, uh, if, if you want to like, if you want to have a high gear program, stick beyond just managing your hot dog vendors, right? Uh, look for third parties up and down the organization. And so you need a tool that helps you catalog that, um, keep a scope on it. And you need a tool that helps you find those things. You really need, you know, kind of an analytics identification type program that can help you make sense of and correlate data coming out of the creative tools that we talked about, looking at your data loss prevention programs, your incidents and monitoring and threats and vulnerability systems and tools, um, looking at the traffic, looking at uh, you know, various things that are happening through the physical and, and technical security of your organization. So I think, so, so thinking outside the box, um, you know, finding tools that help you scale your inventory management, your identification, um, and then, you also really should seek to find um, industry alignment. So, you know, they're a community where you can share your, your thoughts, your ideas, and bounce them off of others. Um, you know, it, it's kind of embedded in that opening your mind and getting outside your box, but you need to be able to engage with like-minded people um, you know, so that you can build the concept of your program uh, a little higher. So that's kind of ops plus gear, like technology yeah. You know, yeah. all combined. Yeah. Well, I like that. And I, you know, I would just layer on that to say, if you're in a, if you're in various oversight roles, so if you're in um, the risk management department in a bank, or if you are in internal audit in any industry, um, if you're in, 
like you said, various forms of operational audits, even even health and safety, site safety, these sorts of things, um, they all have third-party components with them. And I think the, the headline to me is one of those types of assessors is that in almost all of those functions, I tend to see them covering um, basically what's required by the regulator. Um, and I, I think your example is the perfect example of where, uh, of where we leave, uh, where we leave blind spots without, without broader consideration and broader risk assessment. So considering, you know, some, some top level kind of, uh, entity level control questions, as it were, around has this kind of third party committee that's more broadly reaching, has that been formed? That's probably a good place to start, um, looking for red flags and then thinking about from there, um, how do we build a more, uh, how do we build a bit more comprehensive risk assessment to see if we can't uncover some of the things that that we don't know and some of the things beyond just what the regulators have told us to um, have told us to look for. So, yeah, and the last piece that I would the last piece I would add to that is um, how heavily. Um, over the years, I've also seen uh, on both sides, frankly, operationally, but uh, especially as the um, auditors or other types of oversight, the acquisition of SOC 2 reports and SAS 70 reports before that as, um, as should we say, fairly holistic evidence that the, uh, that the vendor is, is safe to use. Um, Chris, does a SOC 2 report solve all vendor risk problems? Not all of them. But man, as you, this kind of gets back to my, my thinking and my guidance to everybody. If you sit down with your head of sales as a stakeholder in this and say, what do you need? They might say, I need a, like a, an ironclad SOC 2 report to ward off 80% of all the, the worry and concern. Um, and the rest we can handle through, you know, bringing in the smartest guys in, in our rooms in here to talk to people. So here's what I would say. You know, I remember the SAS 70 days. I remember SSA 16. I remember mm. 18. And, you know, a few years ago, 18 guidance and, and the authoritative guidance to external audit firms that are providing independent service to ramp these up, it, it drastically changed. And in fact, the third-party disclosures in there and the coverage uh, around what you do, it became even heightened, more heightened. And we started to see a push in the marketplace to have what's known as a hybrid SOC 2 report, which is where you add your own um, procedures to it well beyond the guidance and controls that are within that to cover things like, um, you know, specific expectations in healthcare or in financial services and banking. So they started referring to these as a SOC 2 plus report. And that's where you start to get beyond that 80% coverage. So there is a, you can make a position in your organization to have a, a top-down effect on how your organization goes to market as a safe and secure place with a very high-performing program that covers all these boxes of thought. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And 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 to that end, um, how some of the other standards go so far beyond SOC 2. Um, as a company, we do a lot of work with the government. And to see the breadth of controls, um, the breadth of controls requested by something like like FedRAMP um, and the various uh, the various stages of of um, impact level security beyond FedRAMP um, is a good example of of maybe look to some of those to understand you know how comprehensive really is the SOC two you're getting from from your most critical vendors today. And you and you might be a B two B organization that has an ISO certification or a high trust certification if you're more of a B two C in healthcare and. There's various things that actually are impacted by your third-party risk management program and its holistic design. So give those thought. Yeah. 
Okay, let's wrap up with this, Chris. I want to know the craziest um, third party, uh, the craziest third party risk incident story situation that you have come across in the time you've been doing it. Oh man, they're actually. I, I could write a book, probably. Maybe <laughs> we should write a book. Maybe we should <laughs> publish this. But um, you know, there's a couple that come to mind. But maybe I'll tell one from kind of a early days. It, um, it's actually something that kind of piqued my interest beyond uh, the financial, you know, accounting and consulting side of things. That I, I traditionally was, uh, you know, was an accountant. But um, this is how I bridged myself more into this third party side. So um, I, you know, many of us here at Galvanize have uh, come up kind of starting in like a big four or a major consulting house. When I was thinking about starting my career, I, I wanted to be in a little bit more of a mid-tier firm because I, I heard the stories of people being asset specialists when they kind of, you know, they, all they did was assets for 10 years. But anyway, so I worked in a mid-tier firm and uh, got to see all kinds of different engagements. And I had, I had a customer that had a horse farm, a stud farm. And they raised and sold horses, livestock, all kinds of things. And um, the third-party part of this will emerge, but uh, <laughs> bear with me as I unpack this crazy, this crazy gem here. So uh, Mr. Customer, he had a farm. Him and his wife, they managed it. They had a few hands on the farm. Um, it was pretty successful. And uh, they, were, they were a customer of mine. I was doing their compilation of their financial statements one year and, and doing the review of it. It, was a, it wasn't, you know, private company. So we just helped them pack things up for the tax side of stuff. Yeah. And, and they were the sole owners and I, I'm looking through it and I noticed that their net revenues down, but sales volume was up. So there's kind of this red flag, right? Like you know, I, I'm, I'm reviewing this with them and I'm saying, look guys, just pointing this out. There's something odd here. Um, you know, I can dig into it if you'd like, you know, maybe, you know, we, let's talk about it. It's a normal part of a review and compilation. So they said, you know, this guy says to me, he says, I, I don't really know, you know, you know, what do you recommend we do? So I proposed a series of additional procedures, you know, kind of above just the general compilation review of financial statements. And I started identifying a few more things. And so I came back to Mr. Owner and I said, you know, I, I really think we need to do a bit of a forensic audit here. Um, this doesn't seem to be something happening inside your organization. It's too small, like too, too few people involved, like... Maybe we can dig in a bit. So I, I started, he approved it. I came up with a series of procedures. And one of the things he was using was Google Sheets. I mean, he was like an early adopter. 2007, I think Google Sheets came out in like five or six. Mm -hmm. And he's using this to maintain his horse farm, you know, horse inventory, the prized possession of, of his farming business. So I'm, I'm, I'm said, I recommended we take a look at like who was accessing, you know, Google Sheets, who was, you know, do, like working, working in the system. And he said, it's, oh, it's just me. There's nothing much to look at there. So, but he proved the steps. So we did, we pulled in our security consulting team and we did a forensic review and we found out that the Google Sheet was being accessed from a state out and, a, and an IP address and a location outside of where this guy had his farm. And so we came back, we talked to him, we said, hey, we think we need to dig deeper. Um, there's someone outside your organization. So this feels much more like exfiltration, someone infiltrating to take stuff out like at this point. And so we're wondering, you know, where this is going to go, but he approves a deeper look. So we start interviewing him more. And, uh, you know, he says, what state are you finding it from? We tell him and he goes, wait a minute. I said, <laughs> I got divorced in the last year. 
And my, my spouse moved out of state and now lives in that state. He said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, and I, and I said, is there anything else odd and different that's happened this year? He said, I hired, you know, I, not hired. I, I began working with a buyer that was really squeezing me on negotiation and pricing, but was kind of like, I was cool with it. And we still, we were selling to him a lot of volume. And so I dug in more and I looked and we saw a, a major portion of his sales was to this one buyer. And so we said, okay, now we got to look into this buyer. Who is this third party, right? No yeah. customer. And so we dig into the customer and the customer is a sole employee of a company that had been registered in the last like 18 months. And the owner of the, the owner, the registrant of that business was the ex-spouse. <laughs> so, so we said, okay, so we, you know, we keep, we find more, we tell this guy more. And he says, oh my gosh. Um, so then we connect the dots and basically it was that, you know, he ends up pouring his heart out to us. You know, we had a, we had a terrible breakup, you know, the things went awry, you know, she, she didn't get what she wanted in the settlement. I wasn't willing to give like, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff here. And so it comes to be that the ex spouse to get revenge, uh, had actually formed a company, hired a person to act as an agent, went and pointed that person at her, her ex-husband had the person buying horses from him at a deeply discounted price, but one that she knew he would accept because she used to run the business with them. She was accessing their personal email, which is where the business transacted that they shared. The two of them shared a personal account to manage the small business, small to medium business. And then she was accessing the, the inventory sheet to see like how much age the horses had had on them and they were slow moving <laughs> and just handed it over to the buyer. The buyer would buy them and she would turn around, sell them locally to someone else and kept, keep the spread. That's a third party you would never find through managing, you know, your inventory of vendors that you're hiring through procurement and otherwise. Yeah, what a story. So I have a customer who's actually a broker agent that's that's <laughs> that's effectively stealing margin from me because of a bad divorce. <laughs> Chris, that's an incredible story. The lesson there is even in a very large organization, by the way, stuff like that happens. I think um, some uh, some analytics around look across all of my, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, a large organization and instead of having a, a few customers or a few vendors and brokers like that, some analytics across uh, all the thousands of them to see, just have a look. How many of them have we, are we using that have only been in business for less than a year? And yeah. <laughs> a few things like that may, uh, may re reveal some um, similarly interesting results. Well, thank you, Chris. This was fun. Um, that was uh, a couple of good journeys there, and um, I'm sure some lessons that uh, that folks can take back and and think about their uh, their vendor risk programs, their third party risk programs, I should say. Third party. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks a bunch, Chris. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Hey, Dan. If anybody has any questions, they can reach out to me. Man, I love talking about this stuff. Maybe right. I can tell more about that horse story too. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us for this week's Office Hours. Make sure to visit wegalvanize.com for free resources to help you deliver better enterprise governance. See you next time.